Thanks for joining us here on Service to School Stories. Your hosts for this season are Alec Emmert, Service to School CEO and Navy veteran. And Sydney Mathis, Chief Program Officer and former College Admissions Officer. This season will cover topics as it relates to higher education, military service transition, and career opportunities and outcomes for veterans. Join us as we share student stories, inside tips from the admissions office, and conversations with employers actively hiring student veterans. Here we go. Welcome back to the Service to School Stories podcast. Today we are chatting with Subin Kim. Subin served in the U.S. Army and is a current student at MIT. Subin, thanks for joining us today and sharing your journey with our listeners. How about we get started? Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your background? Thanks, Sydney, for having me on uh, this podcast. Um, I'm excited to share a little bit of my story, and hopefully this will be interesting for you guys. Um, so I, I'm originally from Orange County, California. That's where I grew up. Um, and I am currently attending MIT with the AI and decision-making as the declared major. So um, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about uh, the background history of how I ended up at MIT, starting from my high school story for, uh, in Orange County, California. Yeah, I would love it. <clears throat> yeah, so upon graduating high school, I was actually decided on going into a college, uh, was Cal State Pomona. Uh, in California. And I was about a month away from actually going into the dorm. So I had signed everything. Um, I was about to start packing when I received a phone call from a recruiter from um, the army recruiting station. That's, that was just like 15, 20 minutes away from my mm-hmm. house. And somehow um, they got my number. I got the phone call through my cell phone. So that's when I had the first talk with the recruiter uh, talking about and when she was talking about the benefits and what I would be able to achieve within the military and after, which hooked me on. So that's that's where it all started. I I enlisted into the military. I was in Korea, uh, South Korea for a year, up in Area One for it, and then uh, for the rest of the time, for active duty military, I was stationed at Fort Drum, New York. Cold. Cold up there at drum. Yeah, very cold. (laughs) So what uh, was your job in the Army? So I was a 92 Yankee, a logistics logistics supply management specialist. Okay. So for listeners, some of them might not be in the Army. Some of them might not necessarily have any idea. What was your kind of like day-to-day like? Uh, As the main job and the responsibility, responsibility of a 92 Yankee, consists of taking care of uh, military equipment for the commander that was in charge for the company. So um, it's keeping track of uh, handling equipment as well as the personnel, even down to their clothing uh, data. It's just managing the assets that commander is signed with the liability to helping him ensure that everything flows smoothly and keeping track of all the supply data and equipment. Okay. So after doing that, at what point did you decide you were going to get out and what was kind of the thought process around what was going to be your next step after you get out? Um, I guess even before I enlisted that talk with the recruiter, 
the main point that she was pointing out was the education benefit. So going into the military, that educational consideration was actually the biggest part in joining the military. So I knew where I wanted to, what I wanted to do after military. I served the initial contract with a little bit of an extension for the deployment. So I had finished out the deployment. I had about a little over five years in active duty time. That's when I ETS out of active military and moved to Virginia. So that's when COVID hit. I took a year off from everything. (laughs) And then I went, I enrolled at Northern Virginia Community College. Uh, because mainly because of the location for the initial start of my higher education didn't have to be a specific location. Mm-hmm. Since um, I could be anywhere uh, attending a local community college, and that's where I want to start off. I attended North, uh, Northern Virginia Community College for two years while doing a reserve duty for two additional years at Fort Belvoir. Okay. <laughs> And I, I kept the same uh, MOS Okay. job description. I want to talk about that a little bit, right? So a lot of applicants that sign up for service to school, they have college credits or they're considering going back to college for the first time um, to kind of get that recent academic experience under their belt, right? So you spent two years at NOVA, Northern Virginia Community College. Mm-hmm. Um, did you complete how many credits there? I completed 60 credits. Okay. That's equivalent to the associate's degree in computer science. Got it. So you're, you were studying, still kind of focused on computer science at NOVA there. Um, Correct. Talk to our listeners about the types of classes that you were able to take at NOVA. Um, for the most part, I followed the curriculum. <laughs> and, and I'm just being honest here because um, the curriculum itself, I think it's designed so that it, it, kind of lays out the foundational uh, academic information that requires you to pursue uh, higher education following your associates, right? Um, So for the most part, I think it would look similar, if not almost identical to um, most other colleges that offer computer science, which consists of, you know, apart from the electives, I think it would be just uh, some coding classes as well as some mathematics and some other sciences. Yeah. What was the, <laughs> what were the math classes that you took? Uh, it was calculus. They're both calculus one, two, and three. Okay. And prior to that, did you have to take a placement exam or were you able to start taking calc classes once you got there? I don't think I had to take cal- or a placement test for math. Um, I started out with a pre-calc again, when I first went to Nova and the, the time before that was when I was in high school, that was, uh, yeah, I'm not sure when that was. <laughs> <laughs> not recent. Is, not recent. Right. For sure. um, because I think, you know, we have applicants that come to us, they want to study CS and like you, you know, they, mm-hmm. they haven't taken a math class since high school. Um, you know, and we're like, well, if you want to apply to incredible, you know, academic institutions, those of the likes of MIT, uh, you know, you're going to need that strong math foundation um, because, yeah, can you, you know, hop into a Calc 1, Calc 2 class without any, you know, kind of refresher, if you will. 
Um, so that's kind of why I was trying to figure out, you know, what was that academic experience like for you, um, reestablishing those, you know, math skills. Um, so completed your associates at Nova. And at what point did you decide the schools that you were looking to transfer to? And kind of how did you do that research piece? I would say I didn't think I would end up at MIT. Right. Um, and I think that's a fair assumption. And I thought, you know, the the thought process was that, you know, I'm, you know, why not just try shoot for it? Sure. And because it was so I established a list of schools that I wanted to attend and they well, they consisted of a couple schools that I thought were, you know, overreaching um, I, that I thought were pretty comfortable getting into, especially with a lot of colleges having guaranteed admissions. Um, so I, I think I ended up applying to about six, seven different schools. Mm-hmm. And I think thanks to you, Sydney, and <laughs> as well as uh, my ambassador, Eric, and uh, my peers and uh, some other help, my friends, I think, you know, I got enough courage to apply to those schools that I got into. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to kind of backtrack a bit. So you talked about those guaranteed admissions programs and there are opportunities, especially within Northern Virginia, right? You get this guarantee mm-hmm. if you get a certain GPA of admission to other state institutions and that GPA will vary based on the institution within the state. Uh, we've seen similar programs within um, California. So California community colleges um, have, you know, admissions guarantees at some of the UC campuses. So would absolutely encourage listeners as you're thinking about transferring from some of these community colleges, looking into those articulation agreements or those transfer pathways that some community colleges have set up. So smart of you to kind of use that as your kind of like plan B, right? Because then you at least knew well, I have guaranteed admission at some of these other options if my top choice schools don't work out. Um, so at what point in your transfer process did you get connected with service to school? I think that was the second year. I Going into the second year uh, at NOVA, I learned of this program through one of my friends from the military. Mm-hmm. So that's when I found out initially. And then I, I think throughout the fall semester before, yeah, the fall semester, so that's a year before transferring. Um, I think that's when I really started to reach out to the school, the services school. Yep. I remember you coming to one of our first uh, virtual college fairs. That's when I met you in one of our service to school booths. Um, So looking back on that admissions process, what would you say was the hardest part? The hardest part is... I think, which I a lot of people would agree on, is the the essay portion because of all the, you know, it's just the application process itself is very tedious and nerve wracking, mm-hmm. and I think I was complaining to Sydney a couple times about how the prompts are so you have to be engaging with the prompt in order to say your piece and essentially it kind of acts like a elevator pitch yeah which but it's just a lot more you have to be a lot more elaborated on expressing in words how awesome you are right (laughs) and i think the the hardest part 
on that was um, just seeing myself how amazed I was at how much little I had to write about myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just like pondering, brainstorming on what I would write for the, the you know, this prompt or that prompt for different schools. It was, I think that was our, the hardest part. Yeah. Um, and kind of what advice would you have for someone who is currently in the weeds of writing those essays? I, I think the best advice is to start early because you, uh, in, in my experience, I reached almost like a hard stop at a couple of prompts that I wrote for some of the schools mm-hmm. and having that extra time to look over and rethink and, you know, reevaluate what you actually want to say through those essays is really beneficial, especially when you have um, a couple different schools that have a similar prompt, but it's also very completely different. Yep. So having that extra time to your advantage is what would be the most helpful. Yeah. I remind students all the time, it's never too early to start thinking about the college admissions process and what that timeline looks like, but it can absolutely be too late at some points. Um, so as you, you're what, in a, your second year at MIT? Yes, I finished out my associates, but when I transferred to MIT, the and I think this is for every transfer students at MIT, um, we transferred as sophomores. So I just completed my sophomore year, sophomore year. Okay. And when you were applying to schools, did you take any of that into consideration in terms of like academic transfer or if they weren't going to take all of your credits? I think a concern that we hear a lot is people are like, I just want to transfer in as many credits as I can, graduate as soon as I can. And if they're not going to take, you know, all 60 of my credits, then I don't want to go there. Um, so did you, did that thought ever cross your mind? So on that note, I think I found out a little too late, partly because I haven't really dig, dug into the MIT website looking for uh, looking to see if they were able to transfer all of my credits. And I think it's more or less the same situation for every other transfer students because you, we didn't really know how the actual situation was here at MIT. And I, I think that is... Uh, that would be helpful if that would have been helpful if I had all the information that I would have needed to consider um, in um, decide as a deciding factor. Yeah, and that's one thing we try and advocate for is encouraging admissions offices to give as much of that information up front, right? So then you know, okay, that school's going to take X number of credits. That school's going to take that number of credits. I know where I'm standing at when you're kind of comparing those offers of admission, right? Um, you had mentioned you know, joining the military for education benefits. You only get a certain amount of time for those, right? Um, right. So are there schools that you're either going to run out of time or that are going to give you some time left over if you're considering graduate school? Um, and I think that makes the planning part even more important, right? Because did you use any of your GI Bill at Nova? I did not use any of my GI Bill. Um, the first time I used it, you know, was, was here at MIT. Mm-hmm. Um, that was part of the transfer process, a uh, little more ambiguous in my experience because I had never, I, I never had to um, apply for 
um, what's it called? You, just using the GI Bill mm-hmm. um, through my school. So, you know, just not knowing how the process works on top of figuring out the classes, uh, housing, financial situations, you know, it's just a lot to navigate when it's new, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in your completing your second year, what was the difference like from the classes at Nova and the rigor of the classes at MIT? I think the surprisingly unsurprising part, it's, it's surprisingly obvious to say that, you know, MIT is one of the rigorous, you know, rigorous academic institutions. And, you know, it was, it was no joke. The first semester, I think I was pretty overwhelmed because of the difference in the pace, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as the amount of workload Mm -hmm. that was in my experience, different from what I experienced at at Nova. Um, I think throughout last year, I spent 60 plus hours every week uh, because that, you know, we would have to go to lectures, recitations, doing P sets and those problem sets. Uh, they're, they're at incredible pace. Uh, they cover a lot of new materials mm-hmm. every week. So, you know, it's just academically, it was just a challenging environment. So that having that those two to compare, I think um, it's, yeah, it's just a lot more. A lot more. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like there would have been anything or anything you would have done to prepare for that transition? Or is it kind of like you just don't know until you're in it? I can actually uh, say this from experience. So going into the first semester here, I had to take um, calculus three because the second calculus class that I took at Nova didn't cover mo- all of the materials that were covered here at MIT. So I, you know, I tried to prepare for a little bit, you know, just a couple weeks, or I think it was like a month before starting school. Um, and I thought I pretty much covered a lot of materials. Um, so I felt pretty, pretty confident going into that class again. But I think we covered the material in like a week. <laughs> at most. So I mean, it definitely helped. But right. um, I, there were there were a lot more information. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Let's talk about the community there at MIT. Um, Because again, I think we have a lot of applicants interested in studying there. And we, I think, have four or five uh, veterans on the the campus there at MIT. Um, So talk to us about the campus experience. Where have you found community? And what has that transition been like for you? Out of 1,100 new students every year, there are about 20 or so transfer students, which I think every year work together to form a group, uh, you know, with transfer students. So you get to know each other before mm-hmm. uh, you meet any other classmates, um, whatever, you, whatever, you, whatever classes that you're going to take. So mm-hmm. you have, so the orientation week, you have a general orientation for all of the students for all of the first years. In addition, you have a separate transfer students uh, orientation that are on, uh, that includes all the information that just the transfer students need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, through those information sessions and gatherings, um, you know you meet with other transfer students. So that is your initial connection that you can build, uh, which is what I have done here. And you know, taking classes 
classes throughout the semesters. You know, you know, we make, we make friends doing problem sets. Uh, you know, we have to meet up for group activities anyways. Um, so I think it's very natural for us to, you know, we're, once you transfer into MIT, you're, you're MIT students, just sure. like the other 1100 of them, right? Yep. So that just the initial integration, that's a little different, uh, but you know, it's the same throughout. Yep. Sure. And then can you talk a little bit about be, be, being an older student than majority of the student population? What's that been like? Um, at first it was a little off because for me, um, I just have about 10 years difference between between myself and majority of other students. Um, there are other transfers who are a little older. Um, so most of them have gone to either a different college or a community college. Um, but even even then, they're, you know, 20s, <laughs> 22. Sure. Right. Um, but I don't really feel the difference or the the gap in age, uh, especially because we're, you know, for the most part, we're doing schoolwork. Uh, we're helping each other learn, um, keep up, keep each other accountable, teach each other. I think that is the one of the best ways to learn. Um, so apart from that, you know, we help, you know, all the students, we help each other out. So there is not really a barrier sure. uh, just because of that age. I think they're, uh, the younger students rely on the older students. Uh, in terms of uh, life advices, <laughs> relationship advices, but apart from that, uh, schoolwork is the the main portion mm-hmm. uh, of the social gatherings. Sure, sure. <laughs> so they say so. Um, what are some experiences you've had either outside of the classroom, either with like student organizations or um, career services? What has that experience been like? As a veteran, we uh, we're not a typical traditional students, right? So we're at the crossroad where we have experience, we have professional experience, but we're, depending on which area of interest that you're trying to pursue with your with your degree, you're, you can be kind of seen as um, any other students, right? So you're at the crossroad where you have some experience, but you're also still a student. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of the job fairs and stuff, um, they specifically target different kind of audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think career career fairs and stuff, when you go and speak with the representatives from different companies, uh, you're found with them being in awe, mm-hmm. uh, having that experience and having the courage to come back to school. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about looking forward. So any idea in terms of once you graduate, what you're kind of hoping to do or where you're hoping to land after you graduate from MIT? Um, before transferring, I was pretty set on just finding a job uh, once I graduated undergrad. But now I'm a little hesitant uh, because I feel like there are there are other options as available for me following um, my undergrad degrees in pursuing um, masters or uh, going into yeah just higher education. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so I'm still currently debating on whether I should whether I want to continue higher education or um, get some experience under my belt. Um, everything's still up in the air, um, but I think I'm just leaning towards just running with whatever I have, mm-hmm. hoping for the best outcome. Sure. And 
kind of want to bring it full circle. So as you're, you know, thinking about what's next after you finish up at MIT, do you look back on your military experience and see how any of that has kind of either like supported where you're at today or kind of driven where you're at today? In terms of academic pursuits, um, for me, because one of the main goals to for me after the military was to go back to school, mm-hmm. I think learning about myself as a person was um, was the best part in the military. Um, you know, I learned about like work ethics, having the grit, uh, you know, having the de- determination. Um, I th- they all played a, a big factor into, you know, going into study sessions, you know, keeping up with the study materials, mm-hmm. being patient. Um, so it definitely helped in some ways having that experience. Um, or knowing about myself, mm-hmm. that has helped. Uh, but I can also say that the stress and the workload while that I, while I experienced in the military is completely different from the stress and the workload that I experienced at MIT currently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the main part, uh, what I experienced through the military was mainly physical. Well, uh, whereas here, you know, I'm always worrying about the new materials, you know, the study sessions, uh, would I be able to do well in the next test? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think, looking back, I don't think I had that much of a stress problem at my community college. Mm-hmm. Um, but here at MIT, I can definitely feel the difference uh, where I'm, I don't even have time to think other stuff than uh, about the study material that I'm going through. So at Waking hours, I'm all, you know, I'm constantly thinking about how to solve this problem. Not because, well, not because, partly because I want to, but mainly because, you know, we have to finish and meet those deadlines, right? Yep. So it, that having that experience definitely helps, um, but it's not 100% transferable. Sure, sure. Um, what advice would you have for an applicant, and I know I've sent you a couple of applicants mm-hmm. that are interested in even just chatting about your experience at MIT. Um, so what ex- what advice do you have for applicants that are considering either CS at MIT or pursuing, you know, admissions at a very academic, um, academically rigorous institution um, for that field? Uh, before, before going there, I want to bring it back a little bit to mm-hmm. what you mentioned about um, the career fair. Yeah, I've been to your the the service school career fairs, and I found them very informative in preparing for the applications process mm-hmm. and the missions process because you get uh, I was able to get hand to hand or you know face to face experience with the school advisors and ask specific questions, mm-hmm. which is where I failed to ask questions about transfer credits. But, you know, but I asked, I think I covered most of the general questions that I wanted to ask. Mm-hmm. So in case you want more answers, I think that is, that would be the first step in reaching out, um, asking for f- feedbacks, asking for help, um, asking for information. I think that is, that is what I found really helpful with yeah. the application process. For sure. Especially when you're kind of, trying to figure it out as you go, right? As many people as you can ask questions to, no question is a silly question because two, that answer for a lot of schools, it's going to be, it depends, or the answer could be different for one school versus another one, right? So the more questions that you're asking, the more people that you're asking those questions to, 
It's just going to give you more tools in your toolbox to make the best decisions for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times students forget that in the student position, you have the most control over this admissions process, right? Like you have control over where you apply. You have control over the essays that you write. You have control at the end of the day in choosing the school that you decide to enroll at. And the schools are there, you know, to kind of guide you in that decision-making process. So to your point, you know, ask all the questions to everyone. You know, I love when I'm able to put prospective students or students that are even just interested in MIT in touch with you or, you know, any of our other ambassadors that can kind of speak to their experience and what their journey was looked like and what their experience is like at their current institution. Because when you can ask people that have, you know, kind of walked that walk or have the the information to be able to give you the best guidance, it just allows you to, you know, have the best outcome for yourself. So solid, solid advice there, Subin. Um, great. Well, this has been so fun as all of our conversations about your college admissions journey. And um, thank you for sharing your time with us and our listeners. I know we will continue to have applicants that are interested in chatting with you and uh, supporting you in your in your work as an ambassador. So Subin, truly thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. That was an awesome time. Absolutely. And we'll chat with you later. Yeah. That's all we have for this episode. Join us next week, same time, same place, where we share more Service to School stories. Service to School Stories is hosted by Sydney Mathis, Chief Program Officer, and Alec Emmert, Service to School CEO. Our podcast is produced and edited by our Director of Communication, Amanda Tobias. Service to School is a 501c3 nonprofit providing free college admission support to transitioning service members and veterans. Join us next week and follow us for more on your favorite social media platforms.